1: Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 5 through 9.
0: In the 3rd century and following, you don't find Christmas on a calendar before the 4th century AD. Did you know that? Christmas was an adaptation of pagan holidays with Christian decorate trappings. And uh, you want to find out about Christmas, if you want to find out Christmas trees, look at Jeremiah 10, and so forth. And um, the uh, uh, we know that Jesus was not born in the winter because the, the flocks were in open field, which means it couldn't have been later than October. And uh, so forth and so on. Christmas actually has its roots in pagan holidays. And uh, I- Easter, the same thing. Ishtar was the and the golden egg of a start and all that. was part of the f- fertility rites of the spring. That's how rabbits who are, Symbols of fertility and eggs are, and so that's how you have rabbit Easter bunnies that lay eggs. You wonder how that happened. They don't lay. Anyway, that's all a commingling of ancient pagan legends. And you and I should not. There's no harm, I think, in celebrating around Christmas time in the sense of celebrating the birth of our Lord. Recognize, as long as we've done a little bit of homework and understand the background. And you do, certainly don't talk about Easter. You should talk about Passover. And so you want to build your calendar on biblical terms. Understand the Jewish calendar and the and the. Prophetic ways it relates to Jesus Christ. But we'll move on. The other thing you need to realize, fornication all through the scripture isn't just sexual sins, it deals with spiritual unchastity. And all idol worship tracks back to Babylon. And so you can build a, a justification that the sword level of chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we just read are in effect um, uh, allusions spiritually to Babel. But let's us move on. There's no see this you see we, we talk about the New Age. There's nothing new about the New Age. It's just a modern packaging of ancient Babylon. But let's us go on here. Let's this is the this is the this is the dessert. Okay, we've been through the dark stuff. Let's jump into chapter eight. This is wisdom's chapter. What's it all about? Jesus told you that in Psalm 40 verse 7. In the volume of the book it is written of whom? Jesus Christ. Every page is about Jesus Christ. Well, chapter 8, it really comes forward. Let's read chapters 8 and zoom through it. It's It's a fabulous chapter. Doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places by the way and the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates at the entry of the city and coming in at the doors. O you, unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O ye simple, understand wisdom. O ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Now, Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3. Very interesting argument goes on here by Paul. It says, Not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel should not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Remember, Moses wouldn't recognize that he'd lost That radiance, he wore a veil for a while, so they wouldn't recognize it. He's making an allusion there, but he says their their minds are blinded. For until this day, there remaineth the same veil, untaken away, in the reading of the Old Testament. The Jews can't understand, right? Why can't they read the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ? Which veil is, the veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Have you ever noticed that? That's what it's describing. Well, I want you to notice verse 16. Nevertheless, When it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What is the the word it referring to? The last alluded to noun, which is their heart. When their heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil will be lifted. Isn't that interesting? Where is their heart? Is it in pride of their past? Blinder. Is it open and is their heart right with the Lord? God will lift the veil and they'll see... Jesus Christ, and uh, I have fellowship with a dear friend, Jewish background, who now recognizes that every page of the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. He's the one that points out to me things that most people, most commentators have missed. The the veil's been taken away. Praise God. That's true of all of us. We need to have our heart right with the Lord. The rest will take care of it. Proverbs 8, continuing, here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be the right things, for my mouth shall speak truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips all the words of my mouth are in righteousness there is nothing forward or perverse in them that's a pretty interesting phrase there's nothing perverse or uh, forward or perverse in them god is straightforward any conjecture that implies that god is twisting or sort of cheating some way rhetorically is wrong all the words of my mouth are in righteousness there is nothing forward or perverse in them they are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Praise God for that. What a comfort that is. Receive my instruction, not silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may, may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, oh really, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate? Boy, boy, boy. See, if we belong to the Lord, we'll hate the same things. Let's not get confused. We hate the evil. we should not hate the evil-doer. We get that mixed up. The Lord died for homosexuals. We should hate homosexuality, but love the homosexual. You see the difference? We often get that backwards. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's the priorities in our life. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things be added unto you. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. Now notice it's going to start getting clearer here. The fog is going to lift as we go through these verses. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. You can still at this point be applying the abstraction of wisdom to these words, but you're going to discover that abstraction is going to get more and more concrete as we go here. It's like the camera's getting focused. It's a little blurry, yet we can say this is is the concept of wisdom talking here. By wisdom, kings reign and, and princes decree justice, and by me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Let's continue. I love them that love me. That's interesting. And those that seek me early shall find me. Solomon learned it early in his life. And he discovered it when he sought God, God gave him wisdom. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, du- uh, durable uh, riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice of silver." I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. Now I want you to be sensitive to the shifting of gears here very subtly. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Really? I was set up from everlasting. From the beginning or ever the earth was. What it really says, I was, I, was really, I was anointed from everlasting. Despite the way it may sound in the English translation, it's not as if there was a beginning. It, he was part of the beginning. He was, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's the way John opens his gospel. It's the same concept here underscored. He was begotten, not in the sense that he was the beginning of life, but uh, 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 being one of... of the same nature and substance of the Father. This is way back before in eternity, and uh, he was he was in the beginning with God, and uh, that's exactly he was already past tense at the time of the beginning, so to speak. Let's see what he says here. I was set up anointed from the everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth nor fields nor the highest part of the dust of the world. This is even before the creation is the point. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. he goes on. You ever wonder why the ocean just goes so far? You got tides and things, but you know it, it's very bounded. God has ordained that. He sets the boundaries. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Who is in view here? Some abstract concept of wisdom or a live person? A live person. And who is that live person? Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. That's a strange phrase. I'll leave that to you to just dig into that one. And my delights were with the sons of men. Really? My delights were with the sons of men. That's a mystery to me, but we'll move on. Now, therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me, wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me, love death. Boy. There's a few verses, The chapter 9 is a very short chapter, let's knock it off here. Uh, Wisdom hath builded her house, hath, and she hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. In other words, a feast is being prepared here. She hath sent forth her maiden, she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith unto him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame. He that rebuketh the wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So I'm saying you don't waste your time with those that won't hear. That's what it seems to say, doesn't it? Lord Jesus said, Do not cast your pearls before the swine. Strange idea. And uh, How do you avoid truth? If you're a scorner, you want to make sure you don't get any truth. How do you do that? What is a scorner's creed? That's the one that wants to avoid truth. How do you do that? Edmund Spencer summarized it beautifully. He says, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. Really? Yes. That principle is condemnation before investigation. That's the only certain barrier of truth is the presumption you already have it. Proverbs 9, verse 9 continues, Give instruction to a wise man, he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. And here is your key verse for the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That is your prime yardstick on all these issues. For by me, thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's your key verse for the whole book. We cannot avoid decisions. Decision determines destiny, we understand. We choose either the path of wisdom or the path of folly. You can't postpone the decision or avoid it. It's going to confront you every day. To choose one is to reject the other. To reject one is to choose the other. What decision have you made? I'm talking about today. Your life. You know, if you do risk analysis, there's a famous diagram, approach to mathematics in analyzing risk by Neyman and Pearson. And if you've taken a course in advanced uh, uh, stat, you know that the reality can, something about reality can either be true or false. And your conclusion about that really can be either true or false. And what you hope is that if it's true, you're, conclusion is true, or if it's that actuality we're talking about is false, then you see it as false. In other words, a perfect analysis would always give you a conclusion that fits reality. You with me? The danger is that things are usually not that clear. The Type 1 error is if you reject a true hypothesis. There's something that's true, but the way you've gathered your information, you've assumed that it's false. That's what they call a type 1 error. A type 2 error is if you assume something's true... That's really false. They're both errors, but they're opposite kinds of errors. You with me so far? Together? I'm not, get, I'm, I'm not getting into the math of this thing, but this is the basic structure of design of experiments. Type, to, a, to minimize your type 1 or type 2 errors and maximize the likelihood that what your conclusions fit reality. And this leads to Pas- Blaise Pascal. He had his famous wager. Let us assess two cases. If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. That sound like a good bet? Absolutely. What he actually said, yes, you, but you must wager. Uh, there's no choice, you're already com- uh, committed. Which will you choose then? Let's see. Since the choice must be made, let us see which one offers you uh, the best or least interest. You have two things to lose, the true and the good, and two things to, at stake, your reason and your will. Knowledge and your happiness. Your nature has two things to avoid, error and wretchedness. Okay. Since you must necessarily choose, your reason is more affronted by choosing one than the other. Let us let's get that point cleared up. But your happiness. Let us weigh up the gain and the loss involved in calling heads that God exists. That's a win, right? Let's assess the two cases. If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. Do not hesitate then. Wager that he does exist. Pascal's famous. Uh, what they call Pascal's wager. If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. Not a bad deal. huh? You can't avoid decisions. Sin is always more alluring. Folly does everything she can to make sin attractive. She never reveals her true nature. She'll ne- she never tells people that her house is on the way to hell. The only way to detect folly is to walk in wisdom. This is all out of chapter 2 from last time. Those who walk with wisdom obeying the word of God will not easily be tricked by folly. In Proverbs 9, it picks up a foolish woman's clamor. She is simple and knoweth nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. And by the way, it always takes time for judgment to fall. The fact that it doesn't come right away is no comfort or assurance. The simple, the fool, and the scorner all thought they had it made when they rejected wisdom. Why? Because nothing disastrous happened immediately. Boy. Judgment eventually caught up with him. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The fruits of adultery. Most of us have done, studied English literature know Lord Byron. He said, my days, at the end of his life, he had everything you could imagine. Good looks, wealth, all of that. My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. That was his summary at the end of the road. Satan always appeals to the flesh. The wicked woman we've seen through here, always appealing to the young man's appetites. She tells him she, he can use his body as he pleases and not suffer for it. That's a lie. Sexual sin always leads to tragic results. Not just in the body, but also in the soul. Proverbs 9 continues, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of hell. God continues to call, however. You can't avoid the decision. Sin's always alluring. But God continues to call. As long as people will hear God's Spirit continues to call. When sinners refuse to obey, their ears will become deaf to the Word of God. That's time to beware. When you become calloused, when your conscience becomes seared, that's when you're in really serious trouble. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. It's basically what Hebrews 3 says. I have one other thing I want to add to the study hoping we can shoehorn this in here, an addendum that may surprise you. I think it fits the general topic. And the question I'm raising is, which judgment of God results specifically from the denial of the creation? When we were preparing an in-depth study of Genesis, I was startled when I went through the whole Bible to discover how important the creation issue is throughout the Scripture, not just in Genesis throughout the whole scripture. It's astonishing. It, was, it surprised me to realize, because we think about the redemption in Christ, and that. And I'll focus on that. No, let's just set that aside for a moment. The creation. Huh? If you deny the creation, what judgment of God comes upon a culture that does that? Let's read Romans 1, starting at verse 20. Paul says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse, okay? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And follow this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And by the way, many fools have long degrees behind their names, PhDs and H2SO4s and whatever, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like To corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creepings. Wherefore, now get this, God also gave them up. That phrase shocked me as I realized what it meant. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice that phrase, God gave them up to these things. What things is he talking about? Well, he amplifies. For this cause God gave them up, to what? Unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the wound burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet or appropriate. it, astonished, it we, we think of homosexuality, it is a choice, despite the, the common mythology. Homosexuality is a choice. It's a sin, no different than any, any other kind of lust or sin. And uh, at the individual level, it's a choice. But collectively, it's something else. It's a judgment of God upon a nation. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. Homosexuality is a judgment of God on a culture which has denied His role as a creator. This astonished me. I can understand them uh, that they failed to recognize Jesus as the Redeemer. The first base is to recognize Him as the Creator. They failed to do that. It continues, even as they did not. Uh, like to retain God and their knowledge God gave them over. There's that phrase again. To a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. And it goes on the whole list that finishes the chapter. Boy, boy. It astonished me to realize that homosexuality as a social wave is a judgment of God. No, far more disastrous than Katrina on the South Coast, as disastrous as that was. There's a bigger tidal wave over America. And it's a judgment for denying him as a creator. Well, in the next session, I want you to review the, the nine chapters we've, we've talked about, and then study carefully chapters 10 through 15 for next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. There's no easy way. To get this across, if you are engaged in a relationship that God abhors, stop it now. Confess it. Admit it before God. Admit your responsibility before God. And he will He's the only one that can get you out of the mess you're in. He's the only one that can. So if you're in a situation that you know in your heart of hearts that God is offended by. (laughs) Remember the first law of holes. Stop digging. Let's let's bow our hearts. Father, we come before your throne embarrassed as we begin to realize the innumerable ways that we find to offend you. We come before your throne acknowledging our sins of ingratitude, our sins of presumption. The many times we somehow pretend that the rules don't apply to us. Oh, Father, how, how we grieve you. We come before your throne acknowledging that, Father, making no excuse. Simply acknowledging That we have willfully disobeyed your laws. We have deliberately avoided being obedient to your instructions. We confess it before you right now, Father. Knowing that we are in a predicament that only you can extricate us from. Father, we confess our sins and we trust in your faithfulness, as you promised, that if indeed we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we would just submit to you our commitment of obedience, Father. and we resolve to turn from those things that we know offend you. And as we do, Father, we also would ask that you would increase the visibility of the other things in our lives that we might not be sensitive to that also offend you. We pray, Father, that you would just remake us in a way that would please you, that we might be more fruitful stewards of the incredible blessings that you've showered upon us. We just commit ourselves right now, Father, into your hands. Without any reservations. Those of us that aren't really willing, we pray, Father, that you would make us willing. (laughs) We pray, Father, that you'd leave no stone unturned to draw us into that relationship that you would have us in with you. As we commit ourselves this night, without any reservation, into your hands, in the name of Yeshua. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store or... Search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.